Hello, how are you? <laughs> this is Asher Abadian, AB Love Lady, the very black male in the digital flesh. Here we go once again. Uh, this episode is really cool, man. It's uh, about the introduction. It's an introduction to the function of contemporary art criticism. Uh, it's pretty great. We recorded this at the Station Museum of Contemporary Art during de-installation week. And in the background, you may hear some construction. It's probably Josh or Alex making boxes and other things. I have two guests this week. Michael McFadden, communications and marketing manager at Project Row House. Ring, 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 ring. That's a community development arts program in Third Ward. Really cool. He does various sorts of arts writing, and he is in the Arts Leadership Master's program at University of Houston. I'm interviewing him right alongside Andy Campbell, who is the current critic in residence with the core program at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Andy is an art historian, curator, and a critic, and he's worked for many years at the Texas State University. He has a project opening May 5th that she works flexible with the Berlin-based artist Dean Semashima. It's called Dean Samashima, Public Sex. Wow. This episode is part one of a series on the function of criticism. So we talk about the needs of emerging writers, uh, curatorial and writing labor mo models, uh, and a number of other different topics which are sure to please your greedy little hearts. So without further ado, grab a Coke, grab a beer, play it in a car, play it in a boat. Whatever, however you do it, this is the very black male. Okay. Yeah. Well, I invite y'all here. <laughs> uh, that's cool to discuss um, the function of arts criticism, specifically in you know Houston one, and um, two. What do we think is even like the point of it all? You know. Mm. So I guess my first question is, how did y'all find? That's me, the y'all, because I'm from Houston and Texas. How did y'all find kind of like your your interest in art histories? Yeah, so my so so my history um, with art history. I mean, I started being interested in high school. I had actually an art history class in high school that that really kind of tipped me tipped me off. And I didn't care about history. I didn't care about social history until I connected it to the visual, um, and found I had a pretty good um, kind of visual recall when I got into history via art. Um, continued that through college and into grad school um, and started writing criticism out of an outgrowth of being a graduate student of art history and that being a way to supplement um, my meager income with other jobs. So um, I, I started working as a critic even as an undergraduate while I was working 40 hours a week at Subway, um, you know, writing the random kind of um, art criticism um, even during that time. So mm -hmm. so it's kind of been a running sometimes gig for me as I've been doing other other things and in school for other things. So I, for me it's like if I'm interested in contemporary art history then I actually need to participate in the dialogue that's happening around contemporary art history and one of the ways to do that besides writing art historical academic articles is to actually um, write criticism of things that are up and things that are going on in the moment. Um, that seems only fair as a contemporary art historian to participate in that way. Hmm. Michael? My coming into art history and art criticism was a little 
backwards, I think, because I was not involved in the arts at all until a few years ago when I started working with independent curators and artists very directly. And so one of the first things I did with that, like the group of curators and artists that I was working with was install an exhibition. And it was like, it was a, it was a lot. Because we, within a space, we built an extra wall, we built a reflecting pool, we built um, a stand for a projection screen, and there's just the various sort of intricacies. So gaining that early appreciation for like how much labor goes into art, I think is what kind of drew me in more. Like You realized it wasn't just sissy stuff. <laughs> not just that, um, that art, when it's hanging on a wall and you're just so disconnected from the person who made it and what they did, because when you walk into a gallery, you don't really know anything. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't have the same sort of meaning or importance, but I think if you understand how much thought or how much work goes into the creation of an art piece, then you gain a deeper understanding of art. And from that, like, I'm actually like, taking my first art history courses within my grad program, mm -hmm. like now. That's cool, mm -hmm. though. But um, you've still been writing for quite a, you know, for mm -hmm. some time now. Um, how long has, like, do you remember when you wrote your first piece? You know, do specifically related to art? Yes. Uh, my first piece was actually connected to that exhibition. There was a durational performance, and it was my first experience of a durational performance, uh, and it got reviewed by a local writer, who I won't name, uh, and I felt that they didn't do a proper job of really representing what the artist was doing, but also that their criticism of it or their critique of it was not based or sourced in like the right spots. Mm -hmm. I like that um, your that was kind of your introduction to her criticism was a response to somebody else's inaccurate response as you saw it. So um, I want to pose the question, you know, what do you see as the value of criticism like today when not very many people seem to read mm -hmm or consume art writing outside of the art world. Um, you know, what is the function of art criticism kind of in comparison to maybe like social criticism? Mm -hmm. I think the function is kind of similar when you're actually critiquing something. I think where people see arts writing today is reviews are more write-ups there's not always like um, much of an opinion in there. So it's kind of a, at times, uh, it's comparable to like creative PR. So this is like a freelance job I had <laughs> a few years ago when I still lived in Asia. It was for this sort of publication, but it wasn't really a publication. Uh, 
and they would basically send me press releases from hotels about events they were doing, and I would rewrite the press release to be like more engaging for the public. Like copy editing. Basically, yeah. And that was an article to them, quote unquote, but it wasn't. I'm not going to harp on the fact that you just dropped that little sneak bomb that you lived in Asia for a few years. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to mention earlier, Andy. We were yeah. actually talking about yeah. um, different versions of right. critical writing and how some of it does seem to have more of a press release format mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. taking an actual uh, yeah. Historical viewpoint on what the art actually yeah. means, you know. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things. I mean, like, I mean, the fun. What is the function of criticism? Is just. I mean, it is. A, it is a kind of huge can of worms in a way, right? But, and so there are a couple of things. One is that you know, I I am kind of with you. I know I'm a loud talker. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm with you in in, you know, a, a shared, what seems like a kind of shared. Um, I don't know, um, distraughtness over the fact that a lot of um, arts criticism actually seems to be a reformatting of something like a press release, right? At the same time, I know, you know, I know because I've been on the receiving end of it and I've reacted defensive, defensively myself in my own history, but also in terms of being embedded within a local arts community that you are talking about people who, um, who you may know, who you have a kind of relationship with, and oftentimes, um, there may not be an understanding of what the function of criticism is on the part of the people who are making the exhibitions, too. Mm -hmm. So they may react in a way that, that seems um, overly defensive or overly, or I, I think it's not just incumbent upon the critic to write um, true criticism or something that like actually moves beyond the press release. It's also incumbent upon the organizations to respond in kind when they get um, criticism that is actually based in a kind of studied looking, right? So so if if you're gonna be on the receiving end of criticism, I keep on saying like, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but if you're gonna be on the receiving end of criticism, like ultimately that's a gift in terms of kind of starting and producing a conversation around the work. Um, and I think a lot of people see it as an attack, as a pro forma like attack. And I think that 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 mindset needs to be shifted um, amongst the people who are being kind of who are being looked at as well. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there are lots of issues with it, and I would actually the the final thing that I would say is that I'm I don't necessarily need to hedge the fact that my writing is available for ever like that my writing is available for all. I'm not quite sure that that arts criticism always needs to be addressed to a broad. Um, swath of an imaginary mm -hmm. public. Yeah, I think yeah. sometimes the conversations we need to have are conversations about the worlds that we are creating together and with each other. And sometimes the broader public cares about that, and sometimes the broader public doesn't care about that. So sometimes I write pieces that are formatted for like broad, broad appeal, and sometimes I write pieces that are really about a conversation I'm having with a specific institution or around a specific institution. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on what it is that I'm kind of tasked. To write, you do you know? think? Do you think um, the writer should even be concerned about? You know, I mean, uh, I understand wanting to have some hesitancy. Yeah. You know, when you're evaluating something of somebody who's yeah. who you know, yeah. And the work may even represent your identity, right? It may be right. for you, and right. it's, uh, you know, but uh, that makes it especially hard. In a right. Way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. if art is kind of like supposed to be a safe space, and yeah, 
a place to be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Um, I I think it's like the role, the responsibility of the critic to come in as like the you know the shit starter, the yeah. the, the fact checker, the police officer, the uh, saying, well, all right, I know what you're working at, but yeah, you may hate me for this, but it's <laughs> like this, you know. Yeah, um, it's hard. It's hard, and to and to and to assume that we can come into any situation with a purely objective kind of frame of mind to be able to assess it is, I think, missing something fundamental about being in a small arts community in a way, or yeah. a kind of smaller arts world, which is that, you know, we have to work, I think, especially hard to check where we're our own person, yeah, yeah, where we're coming from in terms of how we're meeting the work. And I always try to like ask, you know, I always sit with pieces, or I try to if I have the time with a deadline, I always try to sit with the pieces that I write and kind of ask those questions of myself as well to make sure that I'm I'm writing what I'm writing out of, from the right place, you know? Um, and that can be really hard. So this imagined fantasy of the objective critic who comes in and is able to assess the thing um, that she sees like right when she enters the door is like, I think that's a fantasy, you know? <laughs> like, like it's rare that I have an opportunity where I don't have a connection in some way with a place, with an institution, with a person. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. That's one of the hardest things about kind of writing criticism to me is that you're putting some of that stuff on the line. Um, Sometimes I, um, you know, yeah. I've, 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 back to that trend about, um, creative press releases um, it seems like it can be sometimes difficult to even write about work so mm -hmm. it may be easier mm -hmm. to go to that press release mm -hmm. format mm -hmm. so um, if what do y'all think about the way that you like get past those mm -hmm. mental blocks and even avoiding the art speak where you're using all these different mm -hmm. words that are mm -hmm. like you know they come every two years that they show up in a bunch of different <laughs> stories and then they disappear, mm -hmm. you know, functionality yeah. or, you know, all yeah, those yeah. things. How do you avoid the art speak, you know, while still wanna, trying to... Do you want to start with this one? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I came from a background where I wasn't exposed to art speak so much. So when I started writing, especially, I didn't use it at all. Like, <laughs> I just wrote about like what I was seeing and what the artist was doing and like focused sometimes on the concept more than like the actual visual elements mm -hmm. uh, and just looking at making this exhibition more accessible to a broader audience because I was part of that broader audience. Yeah. That's a good journey, actually, because I think my introduction to art writing was through like Donald Judd, and mm -hmm. I read his work. But and then I noticed, like from time to time, it seemed like he didn't really give a shit about what he was saying. He would just like be putting one word after the next, mm -hmm. and then at other times it would be like, well, he was just fluffing something up. But I think he, as, as a critic, he was he's, from what I saw, he he, he was doing a great job of yeah, representing a number of different artists who may otherwise not have even gotten write-ups. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so there's really two questions that you're asking. One is like, what's the role of the press release in, in kind of our job? And for me, I check press releases sometimes as a set of tertiary information, as like, you know, it's like the same way that I check Wikipedia. You know, like I look at it and I consider what it has to say, but it doesn't in any way 
I make sure that it doesn't necessarily shape the entirety of what it is that I'm saying about, about the thing. But the other question um, that you asked is really about the language that we use when we're writing our criticism. And I, I kind of fall into a camp that gets me into trouble sometimes, which is that I'm a lover of language and I believe that words have, that words have purpose. And, and sometimes what is called art jargon or art speak um, can actually be a kind of very specific term with a very specific history. So sometimes I will mobilize art jargon or art speak because it actually says something very particular that I want to say. And I think that sometimes when we rail against art speak or art jargon, I think that's a straw man for something else, which is questions about accessibility, mm-hmm. questions about how we format um, the language that we use when we talk about art, it has a lot to do with what kinds of training people are having as they're like coming up as arts writers. I think those are the foundational questions. The language is the symptom in a way, right? So so sometimes I'll mobilize, you know, um, art jargon and art speak um, because I think actually that is the correct word to be using to right. talk about the thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that gets me in trouble with people in terms of the language that I'm using. It's too academic. Well, okay. Sometimes the word is sometimes the like, word is there a German is, word right. this piece <laughs> is perfectly lighted. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And 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 I always try to keep in mind, you know, the audience for the various outlets that I'm writing for, you know, like and how they've determined audience via their their language that they're using, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I fall in the middle in that in that category. I don't necessarily think that art speaker art jargon is is necessarily bad on the face of it. I think when it gets used in press releases by people who are trying to sound smart, I think then it's obviously at its end point, it's at its terminus, it's at the very end of what it can be. But when it's used in a thoughtful way and it's connected to a history of its use, I actually think that's that's what I would call good criticism actually, is like being careful with the language that you use and loving the language that you use to describe. Something like I got, I got, um, I was just writing a review of something in, I don't know if we talked about the Dallas show, the Black Sheep Feminism show when we last met a little bit. So I just got a round of edits for the, and the whole process of getting edits and kind of working with an editor is like an insane process too as an art critic. But, but, um, but she had said, you know, I don't like your use of, I can't remember. There were lots of things, there were lots of edits that I agreed with, but there were some language edits that I didn't agree with, like, she had edited out a phrase about pinging propriety, P-I-N-G, ping propriety, which has like a nice alliterative kind of like onomatopoeic thing, like when you read it and also when you say it. And she's like, I feel like you could use a more formal word here. And I'm like, well, actually, I think the best way to go about this phrase is using this word because it has this kind of nice kind of rhythm and nice kind of sound. And it's it's alliterative and it has all these, you know, so like I will get in, I will get in knockdown drag outs about words, you know, about the specific words that I use. I think critics who don't love language or critics who don't love the process of writing should be doing something else. Um, you don't have to like love it every second that you're doing with it. It's tortured, it's crazy, it like can drive me insane. But like, but in terms of the language that we use, like, yeah, the language has to be very specific to you and your voice and has to be very specific to the way that you're encountering the work too. So there's really like multiple layers in terms of the way that I'm like assessing works because I'm also thinking about how it's going to be written about and how I give someone a sense of what it is that I'm seeing via language, which is already a challenge because we're we're migrating media Mm -hmm. at that point, you know? I want to ask about um, how, again, how something is going to be written about 
and how it's going to be consumed in relation yeah. to like uh, popular culture versus um, high culture, right? Um, we, you mentioned earlier, you know, it's sometimes appropriate, more appropriate to have a direct dialogue with an institution, you know, and right. if you're publicizing that, right, what is the different values or what different publishing outlets um, could you describe some different publishing outlets, whether it's in print or in digital, and what are some of the like responsibilities that come with mm. each and the relationship that comes with each, mm. if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, that, that does make sense. Do you, do you want me to start? Do you want, okay. Um, sorry. I'm, I'm a talker. I'm sorry. Hey, like, man, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a gabber. Um, so, um, so I write for a variety of outlets, and, and half the time it's because I'm commissioned by that outlet to write something, and half of the time it's because I pitch. Um, with certain outlets, I have a pitch relationship with them, and certain outlets, I don't. So, you know, like, and I believe in writing for publications that run the gamut from the local to the international, like, so if, if I can. So, um, for a long time, I was working for the Austin Chronicle. Um, which was an alternative news weekly in Austin, and I had a I had like a bi- tri weekly, maybe once every three weeks column that was a, that was an art interview with an artist in their studio and was about process and practice because mm-hmm. I think that that's something that critics can also get into. Um, that's formatted as a way of kind of finding a particular like my duty as an author in those moments was to talk to an Austin arts community, right, um, and to bring to light the work and practice of some artists who were not yet kind of maybe even getting shows in in and around Austin, right? Um, So there's a kind of advocacy part of criticism where you try to throw focus on something that may not yet be on people's radars. So for example, um, last year I wrote about Angel Oleshov's little show in the back of Art Palace Gallery for art form for the print, it was really important to me that that show be in print in that venue because Angel's work has never been written about in, on a national or international level. I think it's really interesting and she's doing some like weirdo stuff with clay and like and with glazing and I and she needs to be part of a, a kind of conversation and so like and so I'm thinking about like most of the people who will read that will have never heard the word like the two names Angel Olashov together. We'll never have seen the little image that's going to be published by the review. And so it's incumbent upon me to open out her work in the most friendly and engaging way that I can, um, and rigorous way that I can. So depending on the outlet, depending on on how on on my relationship to that outlet, like I'm I'm really thinking about like what it is that I can do as a critic, and it's not just to say, hey, you institution, you did wrong, you did bad, but it's also to say, like, just to put this person on your radars, like, here it is, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like so, so that also is a part of kind of what I, what I try to do. If I'm commissioned for a review and it's for a show that I'm, like, on the fence about, like, then yeah, we'll talk about, I'll, I'll kind of engage in a, in a much more critical stance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I yeah. think it's it's interesting that you say uh, half is pitch, half is um, commission. Commission, yeah. You know, um, what do you think? Like as a beginning writer, um, what was more important is like trying to f- like find a associate yourself with a um, 
publication, whether it was yeah. digital or whatever, or just to yeah. keep pitching, 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 well, pitching? Well, I think, I think the, the close association with one publication is, is, again, a fantasy in our world of a kind of like cobbled together economic existence. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I can't just work for one publication because unless they're going to pay my rent, I'm, I don't feel mm-hmm. a sense of loyalty to, to, to one publication. And rarely will a publication, I mean, there, I, we can count on two hands the number of full-time arts critics in this country. I was actually going to ask that question. Earlier. Right? I mean, I mean so, so that means that we often write for many outlets and juggle many, many kinds of ideas and relationships to those outlets. So um, there are certain shows that I think would do well in certain publications or not. And, you know, especially with national and international venues that I pitch for, like, they don't necessarily always take my pitches. Like I get a lot of no's, right? Like so part of it is just being persistent and for making the case when I feel like it's really important that something be covered. Like so I have to kind of become an advocate in that way mm-hmm. to see my pitches through. And some of it just has nothing to do with me. Like like at Artform, for example, they'll say like we have enough shows being reviewed that are in museums or museum-like institutions we need more from galleries like because we want to strike a balance so like it doesn't matter what I pitch that might be from a museum or museum-like institution they're going to say no to everything because they already have enough right I've had an experience so, where I would pitch something yeah and uh, instead of a no I get no response which is the absolute uh, worst yeah it's yeah. like sliding into the dms and then I know. you have no idea what's going on in there that can be <laughs> really rough yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm glad we're talking. So, in talking about um, labor as uh, yeah. uh, you know, critical uh, laboring and from critics, what systems do you see in place to encourage um, new critics yeah. to even come up? Because when you when you think about right, <laughs> you should answer this, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there yeah. is any encouragement really. There's like, if you are talking about Houston specifically. Mm. There's, there just aren't outlets, really. There's Glass Tire, there's Arts and Culture. Um, occasionally you see things in the Chronicle, uh, Houston Press will, from yeah. time to time, yeah. do criticism, but a lot of what they do about the arts is preview, which is kind of... It's press release writing, like we were well, talking about, you know? A, at times, they take it like a step further. They will actually like interview people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is like a little engagement at least, which is nice. Um, but then you have other programs like Miami Rail, which mm. has like a residency program for curators, mm-hmm. or not curators, but critics. Mm. Although maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are support structures in that sense, but I think it's hard to get your name into those unless you have like a connection to it already. Yeah, you know, um, the majority of the art writers that I have met, you know, I'm 23 years old, I meet mm-hmm. a lot of young people who have their own blogs or mm-hmm. work with a blog. Um, oh yeah. They, you know, it's usually the work is non-paid, it's uh-huh. out of passion, it's uh-huh. just like a youthful thing and it's, it reminds me of uh-huh. um, when people would create like zines and magazines mm-hmm. and things like that. So is there even, like how, so this is me going from address, you know, asking about a problem to maybe exploring maybe a possible solution. Right. What would be a way to create some systems which would encourage not just arts criticism but just social criticism? Because I see uh, there's a lack and like attentiveness to 
actually trying to say this is like this, but it could have been like this outside of politics. Mm-hmm. You know, anything outside of politics is more just like a survey. That's the way that I. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of models that are kind of interesting. So Pelican Bomb out of New Orleans is an interesting mm-hmm. um, model. And they're also like a writing and curatorial model. So they're, they're kind of cross. But they, they support and they give, uh, they give monetary and also like creative support to young emergent writers as well as curators, as well as like mid-career curators. I think like Noah Symbolist who works in Dallas is doing a show with them um, soon. Um, but I mean, in many ways, the the art critical economy, and it's been this way for a long time. I mean, it's worth kind of remarking that, like, you know, for the past decade, there haven't been a lot of full time critics, right? Yeah. Or the past two decades, there haven't been a lot of full time critics. As newspapers have been cutting staff, they've been cutting full full time arts writers um, because that seems like one of the areas that can go. So what we are living in in terms of art criticism mirrors in a lot of ways what we're seeing in things like the sharing economy where people are like are are sloughing off responsibility for taking care of workers and kind of pushing them in this new kind of neoliberalist kind of direction where it's kind of like you make your own way and like isn't that exciting everyone's an entrepreneur and what that means is that we're not taking social responsibility for how we're collectively engaged in a kind of um arts conversation and I say this goes for like music for dance for theater as well like what's happening in the arts is not solely um, is not solely about visual arts so like so it's rare that you get paid enough to support your like this thing the the, the change that I make from doing reviews even for well-respected outlets like that's dinner money like that's not you know what I'm saying like that's not rent money like that's like grocery money like so there is no way that I can see it supporting myself as a full-time critic, even working for 10 outlets, that just isn't possible. So all of us have second, third, fourth jobs that we like rely on. I mean, last year I had four or five gigs that were paying me. Like, it, so criticism was one, mm-hmm. right? The core was another. <laughs> like teaching at the contemporary was another. Teaching at Rice was another. And then this other thing was another. And through those four or five gigs, like I'm able to make a life for myself economically. Like it's it's a dire situation for it, everybody who's involved goes, in criticism, I it think. It goes back you know? to the um, kind of like uh, academic attitude that uh, social sciences are not as important as yeah, sure. the um, as the hard sciences, as the, hard the STEMs, sciences, right? right? Yeah, totally. And I, you know, totally. That makes me think that nobody really even has time. You can't afford. It's like a poverty, like a time poverty. I uh-huh. think it's what it's called, right? Um, like, yeah, you don't have time to even give thought to some of these right. art concepts. So you right. wouldn't even be able to. If you wanted to write, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do it the way that you would want to do it because you don't have. Because you're, you're working three other jobs. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I don't. I mean, I don't know how. You, I mean, you have a you have a full time gig with Roe, right? I mean, uh, well, or there. Like when I first started writing, I was freelancing. Right. <clears throat> totally. But I had a steady gig with a marketing startup. That was... Thank you all for listening. I hope you get something from it, and I hope. Um, you go and write something. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by 
Love Lady Texas, Station Museum, and the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Let's go. Also, it's worth noting that part two is coming soon, so keep your eyes out for it. This is a multiple part series. Something a little different, but it's going to be pretty tight. Uh, Very Black Male, we're on the podcast app now. You just have in v.blackmail. And that's it. You can get me right in your ear hole. <laughs> Love you. Take care.